gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fighting in the War Room, this week's review episode uh, going into the July 4th holiday. I stand alone as the rest of my co-hosts bail uh, to do maybe vacation-y things or they have better things to do than talk about the uh, triumvirate of movies we have coming this holiday. Uh, Before we get to what those are and what we will be talking about, let me introduce our guest who has been on the show before, Mr. Jordan Hoffman, critic extraordinaire. Jordan. Hello. Yes, I and you, you and I are the only ones patriotic enough to work on 4th of July. Yes, exactly, exactly. We're, <laughs> we're good Americans for seeing Hollywood films. We're giving <laughs> exactly. back to the country. That's right, that's right. The, you know, entertainment is a very important aspect of our economy, and no. if we don't... If we don't help this this burgeoning industry, apparently, I just read that Deliver Us from Evil gave like thirteen million dollars back to New York City from having shot here one of the movies. You know, they, they should give the money back to everybody who buys a ticket. <laughs> Whoa, it's a real piece of junk. But we'll get Whoa, to that later. now we're getting ahead of ourselves here. We're yeah. getting ahead of ourselves because the movie I, I wanted to focus on, the movie both of us have seen uh, this weekend, is is Tammy, the new film from Melissa McCarthy and her husband slash co writer slash the director of Tammy, Ben. Falcone. Um, this is, is a very Falcone or Falcone. I, I say Falcone because I think that's how they say it in Batman. <laughs> and he is part of the Batman crime family. Yeah, that's true. That's a good call. All right, let's go with Falcone. Uh, great. Well, so Bel- Ben Falcone and Melissa McCarthy wrote this movie together. This is kind of their pet project, or it's definitely the one for them. I don't know how long they've been working on this movie, but when they were given the opportunity after. Um, Bridesmaids made a billion bucks and everyone wanted to be in the Melissa McCarthy business. They were kind of given free reign to go make this movie. And I know that they they cycled through a few different people they were trying to get to make this movie for them. They wanted a director, this woman who worked on 30 Rock. Her name escapes me at this moment. They wanted Tate Taylor, who directed The Help, to make this movie for them because uh, he's an old pal of Melissa McCarthy's. No one would make this movie. I guess no one had time to make this movie, but mm. eh, let's let's read between the lines a little bit here. I no wonder one, if, no, no I wonder if they it. got their friend Paul Feig to do at least look at the script beforehand. Someone. That... Definitely people looked at the script. You know, I, I feel like John August's hands are a little on Tammy in the end. Melissa McCarthy's a good friend of his, and she was in uh, The Nines, his little directorial debut. Um, this, this seems like a lot of ideas going into it and maybe too much sharing the script uh, and getting lots of notes and piling all sorts of ideas into this thing because it is a beast of a movie. It is really scatterbrained and erratic and it's it's one of the weirdest studio movies that I've seen in a very it's long a little time. Bit, I, well, I think one thing, one way to kind of start the conversation and what's interesting, Patch, is that you and I both don't hate this movie. Let no, me I get that out of the way. I don't hate this movie, nor do I like it. It <clears throat> no, exists in its I, own realm. It's, <laughs> it's, quality is like a side here. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's put it this way. Um, uh, you know, uh, when I review films, I'm often tasked with putting them on Rotten Tomatoes for fresh or rotten. Um, I consider a 6.0 or above a fresh. So I reviewed this for Film.com. I had to give it a 5.9. It is as close to a fresh as possible without actually being fresh. And the real reason for this, it all goes back to Woody Allen's film, 
Broadway Danny Rose, where Danny Rose is quoting his uh, old uncle or grandfather, and he says, you can't ride two horses with one behind. And this movie tries to ride two horses with one behind. It tries to be a wacky, broad comedy in the vein of, of The Heat or in the vein of McCarthy's character in Bridesmaids or even in the vein of Identity Thief, which was a horrible movie but a very financially <laughs> successful one and a formulaic movie. And then it tries to be in its final half, basically, um, you know, a bit of a James L. Brooks-ish relationship comedy about troubled people that are trying to overcome their difficulties and connect. And it's, it's uh, you know, they literally go to a lake house and, t- and have emotions. Right. Which you could, you could see nowhere. how this movie thinks it gets away with doing both right. of these. Because, so to give you a little idea of what this movie's about, if you haven't seen it, it's, it's a road movie with Melissa McCarthy. You know, we don't, we don't learn anything about her character, Tammy, basically. We're thrown right into her problems. It's like Murphy's Law explosion in her life where she loses her job at a fast food joint she her car breaks down in the middle of the road she gets back home she catches her husband cheating on her kind of uh and then she immediately decides i'm going on a road trip uh and i'm taking my grandma's car which means i have to take my grandma with me and they just set off they don't even know where they're going actually when they decide to go on a road trip they land on niagara falls for some reason that has to do with Susan Sarandon, who plays her grandmother, Pearl. Um, she, that's her long dream that she didn't get to fulfill with her father. So she's going to go to Niagara Falls with Tammy. And um, the two just kind of set out. And it's a little like Rain Man-ish. I think that's what I told you after we saw this movie. Except Tammy is kind of Raymond and not as on the spectrum, perhaps. Yeah, but they, <laughs> they, had a, they had a goal. They had a reason they were going somewhere. There was like a house. Right, exactly. There was like a financial reason. They had to sign something. The only momentum, this- the only momentum in Tammy is the fact that a car drives forward. Naturally. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really bad screenwriting. It's like, they're, you know, all they had to do was say there's a high school reunion or something, some reason to go to Niagara Falls, but they just didn't <laughs> do it. You know, it's just... And the, be- and, and the beginning of this movie is, like you said, very silly. So Tammy's getting her money from her house, and she's pratfalling all over the place. Yeah, and she's acting real- like a slob. She's like, a, she's like John C. Riley out of Step Brothers or something. She's a total moron. Uh, and as they as they ramble along, that that veneer kind of dissolves, and they start having real problems. Susan Sarandon's an alcoholic who is also like very lusty and and always chasing men. And Melissa McCarthy has this faux confidence in the world and thinks everything's going to be handed to her on a silver platter and that blows up in her face and suddenly becomes two real people with real problems that you can't be so jokey about and it almost gets there it, it, yeah. it can tackle those things with these it, it two would, actors it, in an interesting way but not with everything that preceded it but here's the thing yeah i mean you nailed it but uh, imagine if you were watching Step Brothers and at the 45 minute mark it just became terms of endearment <laughs> like it just makes <laughs> No freaking sense. But here's the weirdest thing about it. And I hope everybody out there in fighting for the war room land is sitting down because the the latter half of the movie, the sort of Dr. Phil talk about your feelings part is actually better than the stupid comedy. Absolutely. And I like stupid comedy. But the second half is better because Susan Sarandon is a great actress. And Kathy Bates, who shows up, she owns the house that they're all out. She has, like, one monologue, and it's fantastic, because Kathy Bates is a fantastic actress. And Melissa McCarthy's very talented, too. I mean, she's mostly on the, the listening end in the last half, and so, you know, she's quite, uh, she's quite good at that. And the first half, the comedy, 
isn't that good. It's not Paul Feig writing the heat, which is hilarious. There's a couple of good jokes, and McCarthy can can squeeze a joke, uh, but it's not that great. Right. And it's mostly her repeating things until they kind of become funny, like yeah, like she like improv Melissa, stuff. What Melissa McCarthy can do great, and this is in the trailers and the commercials. It's like there's you've seen the clip where there are the cops coming. And she runs. Now, Melissa McCarthy is not a top athlete, so she doesn't run very fast or far, and the cops get her again. And the cops say, really? You're running? And she goes, oh, it was a B. You know, that's a stupid joke, but the way she delivers it, it's pretty funny. She goes, oh, a B was chasing me. She has, like, a weird way of pronouncing it. And I laughed, even though I'd seen it five times already. I still laughed in the theater. It's funny. Um but, like, that's about as good as the movie gets. <laughs> right. At, <laughs> we, at our screening, lines. an Obamacare joke killed. She goes to get gas, and it's really expensive. And she's like, thanks, Obamacare. Yeah, and that slayed which... the, 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 yeah. the theater. But I think it's because the broad comedy in the beginning of this movie doesn't work. It's so yeah. poor that when, like, the quirky kind of weird lines that are sprinkled into the more dramatic half... They are really effective. I mean, I think that's why a movie like Nebraska is so successful. Because I think Nebraska is a funnier movie than Tammy, and it doesn't really set out to be. No, exactly, exactly. I mean, McCarthy is just. I listen. I you know, I don't think Falcone is. They they didn't they blew it. They didn't they didn't do it. Maybe he's got another good movie in him. Uh, McCarthy should should handcuff herself to Paul Feig and just <laughs> hope that he can. They are to- doing another movie together, so great, that's- and it's going to be great because they're two for two. Um, and, you know, she's got to find someone else to figure out what to do with her. I wonder, because this movie has been in development a long time, I have a suspicion that the real draft of Tammy, that the draft that, that husband and wife stayed up all night working on, has none of the broad comedy. And it's basically a Nebraska-type film. And there's a, there are two big set pieces in Tammy, one of which kind of works, one of which works and one does not work the one that doesn't work is for no reason tammy's on a jet ski saying look out fish and uh steve from eastbound and down is <laughs> like standing going, there going hey yeah steve <laughs> from eastbound and down has nothing to do in this movie he stands on a pier and goes wow that woman's crazy it's just awful and then tammy flops around and breaks stuff and but you don't not- even see her do that that's the amazing part like almost they might not have had the budget to film like a, a jet ski <laughs> right, right, mis- right. mishap but right. all of a sudden it cuts away you hear a loud crash and then Melissa McCarthy just comes up from the water going like, oh, boy, I broke the jet ski. It's really poor. It's not funny. And then the other bit is the bit which is in all the television commercials, which is her knocking over. She puts a bag on her head and takes a Sharpie and puts eyebrows on the bag, which is funny, and robs a uh, a, a, a Burger King type joint. Um, and that's a very funny sequence. Well, but it's totally kind of cr- just shoehorned in the film. Right. And it comes after a rather sad scene. You know, her grandmother is ill and she's an alcoholic and has all sorts of diseases and, and is refusing to take her medicine. And it's like and you like the grandmother because it's Susan Sarandon in old age makeup and it's quite she's quite good. And then you're kind of like, oh, man, I hope grandma's OK. And then there's this wacky bit where Tammy is dancing to I believe it's Macklemore. It's a Macklemore. So I'm, I'm, I'm really surprised, Jordan. I, 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 I <laughs> you had to Google that one. <laughs> sometimes good at uh, yes I recognize the Macklemore song and she's dancing around and it's funny listen Melissa McCarthy dancing the Macklemore is funny but it's it's totally not funny out of balance right 
with the scene that had preceded it. I am convinced, Matt Patch, as I say unto you, to the listeners, that the studio, which studio was this, Fox? Or, or, this is or, a Warner Brothers movie. All right, Warner Brothers demanded upon Falcone and McCarthy to insert more wackiness, and I contend that those two scenes were not in the original version that they wanted to make. Well, it is weird. I mean, I, I could see the... Uh, robbing the burger joint bit being in the movie. Like, there's some weird Alexander Payne behavior there where people just go to great lengths to try and solve their problems quickly. Uh, but not, blows dancing up around, face. not dancing around like a music video to cut for the trailer. No, yeah. no, that seems like, yeah, that's tailor-made for whatever trailer they're going to cut because they saw this movie and they're like, there is nothing here to sell this as a broad summer comedy like we intended. Um, and, and I agree with you that there's something off about the entire movie because it feels very jumbled. You know, often we, we can't comment on the editing, or we don't because it's seamless, it's invisible. Uh, unless they're doing something really strange with the editing, it kind of drifts into the background. Here, the editing is so bad, and I think it's because the either the continuity, the scenes... Uh, aren't well-directed, they're not well-constructed, and they weren't intended to be back-to-back with one another often. Um, yeah. It's so strange to see in the beginning of this movie, so the the woman that Melissa McCarthy's husband, played by Nat Faxon, um, a, a, a comedic name, he's on TV, he should probably yeah. have an okay part in this. He's barely in the movie, and who is he cheating on? He's cheating with Tony Collette. You know, this, she's a big name actress. You big get Tony Collette to do something really funny or like play outside her bubble, maybe, even though she's done comedy. Like, this is a name. Uh, she m- maybe has one line in the movie. She does absolutely nothing. What is going on in that, with that it's, bit? And like, weird. Allison Janney is also sidelined after the first 10 minutes of this movie. It's very bizarre. Yeah, I suspect that there's some footage on the floor that we, we won't see. Um, or it could just be that they were so nervous about. You know, maybe when when Falcone got the gig, he said to the studio, we're going to get all of our friends to work for scale, you know. So maybe in another world, there's a version of this by a different director where that uh, character is played by by an unknown and it doesn't it's not as noticeable. But when it's it's noticeable, when you have big names show, you know, uh, Dan Aykroyd shows up for one scene and it's actually pretty funny in that little bit. Yeah, he's got a good line. He has a pretty good, good line in there. Actually, he has one of the he has a, one of the funnier lines in the movie, and w- I would imagine it's probably the funniest thing Dan Aykroyd has done in the twenty first century. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> hey, he's been busy selling skeleton so- head vodka or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to I have to double check, but I think Tammy represents his best work <laughs> in the twenty first century. Uh, you should see the movie Loser. He's pretty good in Loser. I never heard. Oh, I, heard. I did. Yes, Jason Biggs. Yes. Uh, All right. Maybe. Definitely, definitely in the twenty tens. Uh, sure thing. Yeah, um, you know, speaking of the the trailer to this movie, yeah. that gave us absolutely no idea what was what was coming. I I did not know that Mark Duplass was in this movie um, going into I didn't it, in kind of until... one of the beef, the meteor roles, quote unquote. Yeah, he was uh, he was fine. Uh, you know, see that's when know. the drama didn't to... didn't work for me as much. But like trying to make him. A romantic interest and like this movie does has no idea what it's supposed to be and yeah maybe it <sighs> yeah, feels destroyed like... by studio notes but at the core like i can't hate this movie it's not bad because melissa mccarthy and susan sarandon are a great pair and i do think mccarthy has like dramatic chops there's parts of the yeah, heat where is. i'm like this woman can be really poignant really sensitive at times and in with surroundings that are very silly like she can pull that 
all off. And there's there's pathos to this movie. And I actually really appreciate it. You know, they wind up with Kathy Bates and Sandra Oh, for some reason, is her girlfriend. They're, they're two lesbians living in this giant mansion. And then they have a huge lesbian Fourth of July party. And I'm like, I have to get behind this movie, right? This is kind yeah, of no, weirdly progressive. And there, there, I, I there approve. Was, there was good stuff in there. But, but you know, it's the whole Duplass thing. Again, if you haven't seen the movie... Think of Step Brothers, okay? Now imagine this. John C. Riley goes to his lesbian aunt's house and gets a makeover. And suddenly his hair looks nice. He's in a suit and he looks dashing. And he meets the female equivalent of Mark Duplass. And they start having a romance under the twinkling stars by the lake. That's how strange the change from the beginning to the right. end of Tammy is. It's but it's not crazy. just giving her a new hairdo because who walks out is not, oh, is not also, John yeah, C. Riley from Step Brothers. Yeah, yeah. He, he suddenly gains 100 IQ points also. Now, here we are. It's flowers for Algernon. <laughs> here we are, film critics, always whining about how there's formula and we wish there were movies that would take us by surprise. You know, Snowpiercer is out in theaters right now. And even though Snowpiercer is not perfect, the one thing you can certainly say is that it goes in directions you don't see. Um and so here's a movie that just changes, but it just takes one set of ridiculous cliches and takes another set of ridiculous cliches and mashes them together like two kids, like a kid trying to put two Legos that don't fit together and just smashing them. And that's that's kind of what Tammy is. It could sti- it d- does stick though if you smash them hard enough. Yeah, if you get it crazy, does make though. a movie. No, it does not make a movie. All right, are we done talking about Tammy? Because I don't think it deserves much more discussion. Uh, it deserved the right. discussion. That's what people. I'm I'm surprised so many people are writing this movie off completely. It's it's an admirable failure. I definitely laughed. I laughed a lot uh, at a couple of throwaway lines. The scene where she where she robs the stores, uh, the the fast food joint. You loved that paper bag she drew. I, I laughed every time eyebrows I saw it. She, on. she drew eyebrows on the paper bag, so she looks ridiculous. It's very funny. Um, you know, there are a couple of good zings. I, she, yeah, she's very funny. Oh, here, here's what I want to go out on. This is kind of morbid, but I this is what I actually thought about because in the middle of Tammy, I got a little bored, I have to admit. It's, it's just oh, rambling on and nothing is happening, and my mind went here. So Gary Cole is in this movie um, <laughs> as one of Susan Sarandon's love interests. And Gary Cole is an actor who I always think is really funny. Like, I love Gary Cole, and he makes every movie better. Um, but I, I'm like, I thought about, okay, so when Gary Cole is gone and they put him in the Oscar in memoriam because he's such a great actor and we want to pay tribute to him. Like what movies do you put on Gary Cole's, like, we yeah. admire you list? What, what, office what's space. up there? Office space. Just office space? Like what other, I mean, I was oh, worried that like, he's so funny in the Brady Bunch movie, but like you wouldn't want to put him playing Mike Brady at a remake part up on the depends on when he's dead like if he dies this week no but in in the year you know many moons from now we might live in an environment when something like the brady bunch movie is is so respected because (laughs) movies might get so bad apocalypse yeah it might be such a bad post-apocalyptic netherworld that will look back at the brady bunch movie as like our citizen kane it is really good though sure you know i'm not i'm not saying anything now he's pretty good in this too he has um he uh, he's wearing like a goatee. Let me a goatee. He's wearing like a beard. He kind of looks like Mahmoud Ahmadinejad in this. Wow, um, that's but, not what they're going for. No, well, he's a handsome. He's a rootin' tootin' BBQ eating <laughs> romancer, womanizer. He looks like a like a like a truck stop Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. Um, and 
what can I say? You know, he's great in it. And uh, Duplass is good, too. And I can't say enough good things about Sarandon. You know, she she definitely you see the makeup on her. She's still she's still a beautiful woman. She's not. Uh, what is she, 66 or something, Sarandon? Does anybody know how old she is? 65? I, I don't know off the top of my head. She is not a young woman um, by our current codes, but uh, <laughs> she is gorgeous. I've seen her in person recently, Matt Patches. I will not, uh, I'm not, I'm not dropping names. I'm just telling you about my life. I was recently at a place and she was there and she had a glow and she wasn't on set or anything. She wasn't all dolled up. She was just doing her thing. And here she plays a grandma. A hot grandma. Yeah. She's short, though, but, you know. But she still had a glow. I immediately recognized her from across the room. I said, that's Susan Sarandon. She's not dressed up, but that's her. Let me double check. Yes, it's her. She's beautiful. That's all there is to it. Tammy. Uh, <laughs> if, if, if the heat's killing you this 4th of July. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about uh, a movie you saw that I didn't see. Uh, yes, Earth, Earth to Echo. To or Echo. do you want to talk about Deliver from Evil first? I'll just call. breeze through Earth to Echo. I don't have too much to say about this movie, which I saw at a horrendous like uh, family screening. Usually, you know, when we go to family screenings, uh, just to put it all out there to be transparent, um, there's always going to be something. There's always going to be screaming kids, and you got to get over that. Uh, so you see How to Train a Dragon, and there's going to be some kids who are crying because it's too scary, or they're going to be giggling or running around. And you kind of, I don't know, I, I can zone into a movie now. That's really trained me to get past kids in a movie. Uh, this audience was horrendous. I had a kid, I, it was like watching Earth to Echo in a D-box seat. Because this kid was just shaking my seat or kicking it every time wow. something scary happened. Or when scary things happened, he screamed. But just in general, he was kicking it. Well, so that, like, that's that's a testament to the film's power that it brought this child. Uh, and <laughs> today's youth is so throttled by media that he could be overwhelmed by the movie. Is certainly that, you a know win. what? And you're exactly right. This movie actually did make kids go like, ooh, ah. Uh, so I have to give it a little credit in that way. This, is, this movie is E.T. I mean, it's E.T. for the YouTube generation it's done it's found footage right? it's found footage and these three kids they're they're growing up in the nevada suburbs which look exactly like the set for et um so it you know you got lots of sunsets purpley sunsets it's Oso spielberg and they're they have to move because um some construction people want to build a highway through their neighborhood so they're all going to be breaking up the bffs are breaking up and so one last adventure kind of falls on their lap. They get a signal, or as they put it, their cell phones are barfing. And they say this several times. Uh, but they get a signal that takes them out to the middle of the desert, and they're going to go find whatever is calling them. Um, and luckily, the answer is a lot nicer than The Signal, another indie movie mm. that's playing right now. Uh, but they find little Echo. He's a little robo-alien thing that uh, is just trying to get home. He's in a little spaceship. And is it really? He's just trying to get home? Like he's see? trying to get home? Well, oh he's trying God. to reassemble his spaceship. And this is very much tailored to video game. I mean, this is another way of sucking today's kids into this movie. It's structured like a video game. So they find Echo. His spaceship is a little broken. And his pieces seem to be scattered throughout the neighborhood. So the gotcha. kids have to go find the pieces. And they're running around with their camera. And so the major problem here... 
uh, or let me start with what's good. What's great is is the camaraderie of these kids. It's basically um, Dave Green, the director, and this guy Henry Gaiden who wrote it. They're basically adapting Explorers. It's not so it, they're fusing Explorers, the Joe Dante movie from the eighties, with ET. So this trio of kids, they're 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 crazy kooky personalities, and one is exactly like. River Phoenix from Explorers. It's actually kind of creepy. He's the best kid in the movie. Uh, they call him Munch, because of course. Um, yeah. So Munch. And they're all filming it on their phones, right? That's the no, not thing. on their phones. That's what's kind of annoying. They're filming on like a camcorder, and they have some spy glasses, but they also have their phones. They're trying to so hard to sell the found footage element of this film okay. because you know they're recording their one last adventure, gotcha. and that's okay. what really stands in the way of this great camaraderie, a cool use of special effects, um, just the, the simple plot that can create spectacle that makes little kids go ooh and ah. Uh, the, the found footage element really stands in the way, and I understand what they're doing. They're they're trying to reflect today's YouTube culture where everyone's filming everything and oversharing, and there's all sorts of technology that could film something theoretically. It just doesn't work. You can't have moments of grandeur uh, when you're trying to figure out how to get that shot using mm. the in-world camera. It just doesn't make sense. So, like, if a kid is cowering when Echo starts, like, spinning and making – he has a magnetic power. So everything in, like, a p- pawn shop that they go into starts flying around the room. And you can't have that stand back and, and jaw drop Spielberg moment, Spielberg face. You can't get that. Yeah, when, yeah. when the kid is holding the camera and being like, ah! And he's running away because that's what you do. Say, it has, to, what you will it has about, to exist in the world. It has to be reality. Yeah, say what you will about Super 8. It still has some pretty good shots. Right, um, exactly. The compositions you, are what it's all know, about sometimes. There are a few good, I mean, um, you know, uh, heck, uh, Chronicle has some big moments. And um, Afflicted, which was a recent uh, found footage, the vampire one was pretty good. Uh, I mean, there are some examples that do it, but I, I imagine for this, maybe if you're really talking to right. a young audience maybe maybe it's not the I best. I think Dave Green is crafty in that way. There's a really cool scene where the kids steal a van and they drive on the highway with a van which I don't know if it's endorsing that or, or uh, retweets endorsement in this movie. Parents <laughs> should be worried. Um, they steal a van they go on the highway and they're, they speed and almost hit a Mack truck. They're going head to head with a Mack truck and you're like holy shit and then Echo can like burst mechanical objects into fragments. All the pieces of this back truck disassemble at once so that they can drive through it. And then yeah. Echo reassembles it. And because they're driving in a car, the one kid can film it perfectly and show you that entire effect shot. And it's really cool. It, that, that just does not happen enough in this movie. Or the script doesn't give them enough um, chances to do that. So yeah. I like Earth Echo. It's got a good positive old school 80s vibe. Um, and it's just a lot of fun. It's about kids getting into trouble, which they should a little bit, and be adventurous. It's just, I don't know. It's just too, it's, the found footage is an obstruction in a way that I wasn't expecting. So hmm, Interesting. Sounds like it's not a disaster, though, especially, uh, I mean, I, it's not a major studio. It's like Relativity or something like that, or? It is, yeah, it's Relativity. Apparently, someone was telling me, and I maybe shouldn't say this because it's unsubstantiated and I need to do more research, but I'll say it anyway, that oh. Disney funded this movie. And then um, didn't want to put it out, and so they sold it to Relativity. So all the it's it has the shine of a Disney movie. The special effects yeah. are really good, and the kid actors are really good. So they're they're ditched this, but they're still putting out planes too, huh? Right, exactly. Yeah. I don't know if they can do a found footage movie. It's just not it's just shiny not enough for Disney. Yeah. 
This looks kind of cheap because of found footage, naturally. Okay. So. Now tell me about Deliver Us from Evil. The, tell you about movie. Planes 2. I've actually seen it. Tell me about Planes 2. No, please don't tell me about Planes 2. <laughs> I've seen it. Um, <clears throat> Deliver Us from Evil is uh, not my cup of tea to begin with. It is a uh, low-budget, uh, derivative horror flick. Um, so I'm already going in with my guard up um, from a director that has yet to impress me, uh, Sinister... Uh, his name is Scott Derrickson. He made Sinister. He made. Hey, does anybody remember when they remade The Day the Earth Stood Still? No. People seem to forget that on purpose yeah. when talking <laughs> no, about would, Scott Derrickson. And I also would, don't like Sinister very much. I don't really understand where the acclaim for that one comes uh, There's a from. couple of truly scary moments in that. And that's what. De- you know, in my review of, uh, the, of Delivers from Evil, <clears throat> I give a little credit. I do say that Sinister is a dumber movie than this, because Sinister is truly dumb. But it's a little bit better because at the end of the day, Sinister has some genuine scares, whereas this does not. So anyway, it's, the shtick is this. It's a, it's a great elevator pitch. It's Law and Order meets Ghost Hunters, right? So it's New York cop. I think that would be a great pitch for television, but not for the oh, movie. Oh, yeah. This is, te- this, is a, <laughs> this is a bad film. I mean, this is not good. There's no style, and it's, uh, it, it, I, I will explain to you why it's bad quickly. Um, but the premise, real quick, Eric Bana, he's a New York City cop. He gets hunches. Edgar Ramirez, the good uh, and very handsome priest uh, with a wandering eye, uh, explains to him that these are not hunches. He's actually ultra sensitive to the, to the evil netherworld out there. And so he becomes the demon cop. Um, the basic hook is that in Iraq, uh, there's a bat cave that three of our Marines go into and they read a curse on the wall in Latin. Uh, yes, there was some Roman influence in Mesopotamia, so I guess there could be a Roman curse in, in a cave in Iraq somewhere. And they get hexed and possessed by Satan. They come back to New York. They all live in New York, these guys. And they all become murderers and, and criminals. Um, so uh, our hero, Eric Bana, has to stop them. And he eventually giving an exorcism to one of the main dudes. Uh, and the only, and it's just, the, the, the movie stretches this out through a lot of like walking around apartments and, you know, it gets quiet, it gets quiet. You go up, oh, something's going to jump out right about ah, now. And then something jumps out and it's always animals. It's either a dog or a cat, or they even go to the zoo at one point and a tiger jumps out at them. So it's like it's like you know it's like being really nervous at a pet store is, is what? kind of what's going on. It's bizarre. <laughs> so uh, not what I well, not what I thought this movie would rely on for scares. Yeah, no. Well, here's the here's the thing. Let me give you a, listeners out there. I'm going to impart some wisdom to you. I don't know anything in life, but I do know this: when you are watching a movie, particularly a scary movie, and you hear on the soundtrack very quietly. Boom. Constantly. When you hear like under dialogue, somebody says something and then you hear boom in the mix, little booms. That means the movie stinks and it isn't working on its own. And the director and the sound effects guys are in post going, oh, Christ, our movie doesn't work. We need to amp it up. We need to add in boom every 30 seconds to get people scared. Why do I know this? Because before I was a, a film critic, I actually tried making movies. And this is what we did when we had a movie that wasn't working. We added booms everywhere. What movie? Well, not that it wasn't working. Let me retract. 
Let me retract. <laughs> I worked that with you one. on some movies, and I, I don't want them to be called failures. No, no, I'm not saying they're failures, but I'm just saying this is what one does. This is not a secret. So this movie, Deliver Us from Evil, is wall-to-wall uninspired, un- unmotivated production sound, uh, unmotivated sound design. Booms and screeches and squeals and, and, and the sounds of trains clattering and thunder and all kinds of crap to, to freak you out on a subconscious level because it's not there in the movie. Now you're going to say, but Jordan, the greatest horror movie ever made, The Exorcist, is famous because it has weird sounds of pigs being mutilated in reverse and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once in a while, a movie can do that. Not a low-budget piece of junk like this. And this is now Exorcist, you know? That, that has something going on there. This is just a, a, a dumb cop movie that uh, has a lot of booms in it. And then here's there's one thing. I, yeah, I hope you're getting to the thing that you mentioned in your review on The Guardian. I'll plug it for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would actually... Um, I, I could even... I, it's short, so I can read it aloud. Um, if, if you must. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be <laughs> more to the point. Um... This movie is coming with all kinds of branding that says based on a true, true story, which is or is it, they're very they're very political. It says based on the n- notes or based on the accounts of an NYPD based story. on the bullshit of a crazy yeah. NYPD. <laughs> right. guy. OK, so some schmuck out there, he decided to write some books about being the demon cop. Right. So he sold the rights and then they tried to make a movie out of it and they couldn't find a story in there. So these guys. <laughs> Put together this thing about three murderers coming back from Iraq and they were possessed by Satan, which isn't true um, because we would have heard about that if it happens. So but the movie still has that based on a true story thing in all of the branding on all the posters on the subway. And and before the movie starts, it says based on the accounts of an NY. So you go in saying, oh, this is based on a true story. Okay, let me read something to you very briefly from my review in The Guardian, uh, which says. Tough guy, uh, NYPD sergeant, encounters a helpless woman who tries to kill her child and has all the hallmarks of paranoid schizophrenia. Quote, she belongs in the nuthouse, he says. And while his phrasing is inelegant, yes, what she needs is medical care. Deliver Us From Evil teaches, teaches that what she really needs is for Eric Bannett to accept the religion of his birth and perform an exorcism on an entirely different character for her to be well. The film thus issues a twin diss. In one direction, if the woman was not actually ill, we dismiss all moral culpability. Quote, the devil made me do it. In the other direction, if she is actually afflicted, we dismiss the already stigmatized mental health industry. And when a movie comes out riding the lift of based on a true story branding, yes, it matters. So, in a little bit. Because, you know, it's, it comes out with all those based on a true story vibe and then it's like here's a, a, a woman who's insane you could just say oh well possessed by Satan you know then she's you know who needs medical care she's possessed by Satan or it's you know Edward <laughs> Ramirez's character argues that there is no true evil that if someone does something as evil as to kill their child truly they are possessed by uh, a demon which is bullshit there are evil people out there and they deserve to be held accountable you shouldn't just say oh the devil made them don't, do it don't you think that this is somehow appealing to the recent trend of religious themed movies like that are going straight for the christian audience in a way that like if you can appeal something as genre-y as this then you have a multi-quadrant 
picture on your hands. Like <laughs> you you're mean appealing is- to genre people who love Scott Derrickson movies, but now you also have people who are like, exorcisms are real, and like no one, you know, God, uh, God exists because uh, you mean like there the, is uh, no pure evil. He wouldn't create something so evil. It must be a deep. The devil possessing. I would be very interested because they. What was the what was the one with um, Burpo Colton Burpo? God is for real. Is that what it was called? God, it, uh, God isn't dead, or God oh, is for real. No, you're right. God, one, God is for real. Greg Kinnear, Greg Kinnear. So they bust. In, oh, heaven is uh, heaven is real. They bust in uh, church groups for for Greg Kinnear's movie. Are they busting in church groups for this? That would be the next step. We would have to do the research on that. Got to blow that story open. Now, here's the thing. Am I so – do I have my stick wedged so far up my ass that I got annoyed at this movie and I couldn't just enjoy it as a, as a, a little uh, a horror film? Uh, I guess maybe I do have my st- stick so far up my ass. Or it could just be that the movie wasn't good enough on its own. I mean there's enough else that's bad in there. I mean the, the wife, Olivia Munn, has nothing to do other than being a nag and – nothing's really scary in it and 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 eric ban is no nothing too terrific in it either uh the cinematography is nothing it's not even cut together in a fun way there's all the stupid insistence of the doors the music of the doors what's what's making this movie so appealing to people because i feel like i've read several or i've seen several positive comments i'm not saying people are i'm not so cynical as to say they're 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 on the scott derrickson train but he does have a good social reach (laughs) you're looking (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Does he hang out in Austin a lot? Oh my gosh! Uh, well, before we dig our own graves here, I, I do, I do want to ask that you know, obviously, somebody saw Deliver Us from Evil and said, like, this is our guy to make a Marvel movie about Doctor Strange. I, I am curious what your thoughts might be on that, just to appeal to Dave because I hope he's yeah. I don't know. Maybe he has a really low asking price. I have no idea. Um, I don't know because there's nothing too visually interesting in this. I, I'm, I'm. I don't I have no idea why they would pick him for Doctor Strange. Um I really I, I maybe he, <laughs> he maybe he brought in a really cool lookbook, you know? Maybe mm. he has, you know, a visual thing that's been itching to get out. I, I I can't imagine. I really don't. There's like one there's one moment in the film that has a little bit of an interesting visual moment. It, it's at the end like the windows blow out and it's raining indoors and it looks kind of cool. But, you know, Maybe Nothing. he'll flex his muscles there. It wasn't. It didn't happen here in Deliver Us from Evil, unfortunately. No, I don't. I mean, I don't like Joe. When Joe Johnson got picked for uh, Captain America, I was sort of shrugging at that as well. But you know, I thought you know that movie Hidalgo with Viggo Mortensen wasn't good, but it at least looked cool. You know, look look nice. So I was like, wow, it's at least going to look interesting. I, I don't know. I'm 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 extremely. Um, uh, I have I have I have very low expectations for Captain, for Doctor Strange now, which is a shame because Doctor Strange could be a great movie and maybe it will be. You never know. I mean, listen, the Marvel movies all look the same anyhow. They have exactly. a house style. Yeah. It doesn't matter. That's I'm something sure to keep in mind. Doctor Strange is going to be fine because Kevin Feige or whom whatever mysterious Illuminati creates the, the, the Marvel previs, The previs production yeah, company. The Marvel will, uh, factory knows what they're doing, yeah, and I have exactly. yet to be disappointed by a Marvel film. Um, uh, who directed Thor 2? I don't even remember. Alan anymore. Taylor of oh, Game of yeah, Thrones. Sure, and fame. Thor 2 looks phenomenal. I love Thor 2. I was watching Thor 2 again. Hit pause at any moment. It looks cool. So, 
Yeah, whoever really directed Thor 2, and not Alan Taylor, it's, a, it's five guys on a computer really directed it. That Thor. is probably true. Well, uh, that, I, that rounds out our conversations <laughs> on the uh, three movies well, so, coming out this July 4th. So the best movie is, is Earth to Echo, it sounds like we're saying. Uh, to the listeners, there are better movies coming. Um, we've seen some embargoed on others. There are good movies coming in July. We have Life uh, Itself coming out this weekend. Would you recommend that? I didn't film? see that. I, didn't see I, I saw it. I mean, if you like Roger Ebert already, you'll love Roger Ebert probably more at the end of it. Are there a lot of scenes of him dying of cancer? There are quite a few scenes of him dying of cancer. It's actually structured around that, the final days of Ebert. Yeah. Um, and that pulls on your heartstrings inevitably, right? If you have a soul, you'll, yeah, yeah, you'll, no, you'll I, weep when seeing this man kind of like slowly dying. Actually, he wants to die. That's, that's the sad part. Well, it's not the sad part. That's kind of happy. He... Feels like he lived a full life, and his wife wants to keep him plugged in. He's like, just let me go. Uh, and that's pretty noble. Yeah, no, that's... Uh, and sad. I haven't it's a weepy it. movie, definitely. But, but coming up down the block, we have uh, Boyhood, we have the Second Planet of the Apes. Mood Indigo is coming up soon, which is really interesting. Oh, yeah, you just saw um, There's a new Woody Planes, Allen movie Planes coming 2. out. Planes 2. <laughs> I Origin. There's still some hope this summer. This weekend's yeah. not going to do it, so catch up on... Uh, Catch up on movies that have already come out. Catch up on old episodes of Fighting in the War Room. That's really important. Yeah, you have you plenty go. of time. Um, Jordan, thank you so much for joining us this episode. I'm sorry. I appreciate Don't it. Don't tag uh, Scott Derrickson on this uh, audio. Oh, God, why? Because <laughs> he does have a strong... So, you know, there should, be a, there should be a special. There should be a Fighting in the War Room special between uh, the four of you. Twitter I'll etiquette. It about, about etiquette, about, about there are there are no there are some directors who are very involved. Have you guys talked about this? There are some directors who are involved in social media. <laughs> now and you're worried. We are. I'm not worried, but you know, uh, some of them are are nice and some of them are not nice. And uh, well, I'm sure they're all nice on social media, but some of them I follow and some of them I don't. I do not follow Scott Derrickson because I'm not fond of his work. But there are some who I do follow because I am fond of their work, and we have gotten in well, conversations. This, is, this and, is something they talk about in the Roger Ebert documentary because Roger Ebert was loved palling around with people, and he liked that uh, he was of the Renaissance mind when you know the people making work and the people talking about work could all pal around. Or this this that lasted for centuries, you know. Uh, in, into the into yeah. the nineteenth century, into the twentieth century, people would pal around with the people creating the work and writing about the work. It was all one big pool, uh, and he was very fond of that, despite a lot of backlash. To yeah, that effect. Um, but he was also not afraid of talking to people. I mean, he was a big supporter of Martin Scorsese, and he ripped uh, the color of money to bits. He, he Do you think he told him in advance? Do you think he said, "Hey, Martin," if they were truly friends? Well, do you, do you think he said? I don't know hey, if they Marty, were truly friends. I think they were colleagues. Colleagues. I don't. Yeah. Friends is such a. I don't think any critic or and and filmmaker could be great friends. It would take a different. It would take actually would to, living in the same place and going yeah. out together, be they doing what have, friends do. Social media writing. does not connect people, and no. right, the relationship of writing about film and making film does not allow you to have a friendship. Uh, something else would have to take, but um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you would need to know them beforehand. Like I, you know, I, I, I have a, a very small number, very small number of uh, filmmakers and you could DM that, that I, yeah, that I can DM that I consider myself acquaintances with. That if I saw them at a restaurant, they would know me and I would know right. them. It's a small, a small number, but it's to the point that. Um, you know, I whenever I write a review, I publicize it, and I have never 
That's not true. I, I have actually. I have never. I have rarely discussed that review with um, a filmmaker because uh, even a good review always, unless the movie is a masterpiece, unless it's you know, I don't know, unless it's uh, Twelve Years a Slave or Inside Llewyn Davis. I'm not saying. Uh, only nice things. There's always one right. or two things you have to say that are negative. But I, I have very rarely even like admitted that the review exists once I've seen that person again. It's, it's like in- it's kind of like breaking a barrier when people when someone on Twitter tweets something that I've written or tweets anything that is kind of negative to and, and tweets it at that person or involves that person in the conversation. Suddenly, mm-hmm. the magic of like a filmmaker being a character in this movie, it dissipates if that makes yeah. sense like you have to regard them as part of the, the 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 fiction of a movie like it's all just it's been created so what yeah. are we talking yeah. about here and the real person you kind of have to put in the back seat yeah yeah and again i mean and listen i you know if, we're worried about scott derrickson hearing this episode of fighting no, 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 i'm not worried but i i i am um i'm you know it's it's funny when you write something negative i mean i i took a pretty big shit on deliver us from evil and uh uh, deservedly so. It's a bad movie, but I know that he's a real person, you know. Uh, and but I, I think it's okay. He should know about what he made. He should know that I. He should know that there's a guy out there who really doesn't like the movie. Right? People have you know, different opinions. He, there's going to be tons also of people know, who like it too. So he's also going to. He's also, as they say, he's going to know it in a very expensive car. Also, so. <laughs> um, but you know, there there are a couple. I'm. It's it's just a funny thing because uh, you're right. In the old days, you would write your review, and then the guy would never. You'd never know, you know, maybe he'd see it, maybe he wouldn't. I know that when we're at festivals, uh, and I know this firsthand, when you write reviews of smaller movies at festivals, you're damn straight, they all read it. But that's, you know, that's just part of the thing. And I, I try to be, um, I don't think I would ever say anything that I couldn't say to a guy's face. You know, I think I could read aloud my review of uh, Deliver Us From Evil to uh, to anyone in the film. Even Eric Banner seems like a nice guy. This has been this is a really personal outro. This is well, like, what did we're I talking say the religion of, of film culture right now. It's what a good way I... to go out on Deliver Us yeah. From Evil. Well, yeah, well, we were talking about upcoming things and things that are going to be better. So The world will get better. <laughs> um, well, Jordan... Thank you so much for joining us on yes. Fighting in the War Room. Yeah, no, it's nice to be today. here. Today, uh, where can people find you and your work? Well, I do. I write for a number of different outlets, uh, including Film.com and, and The Guardian, The New York Daily News, and um, occasionally for VanityFair.com and Mashable and... Uh... <sighs> All over. Do you, do, you, do you put this anywhere? Do you compile I used to. I used to compile everything at, at, at jordanhoffman.com. I don't anymore. Maybe I will someday. I just have to follow you. On the I'm tweets. on Twitter at jhoffman. Um, J, uh, little at, you go to twitter.com and you put in an at symbol and it's j-h-o-f-f-m-a-n. And uh, yes, I should start compiling things uh, all on my personal blog. I used to do that. I don't do it so much anymore. What about you? Do you put all your stuff on your personal blog? I do. All of my work. And I am Matt Patches. And it's on mattpatches.com. And I put it on Twitter, at Mr. Patches. <laughs> and we put all the episodes of Fighting in the Worm on fightingintheworm.com and on Twitter, at F-I-T-W-R. So that's, do you, that's do you do it, uh, do you, like, every week, like, you say, oh, it's Thursday at 4, I got to update my blog, or do you do it as uh, everything goes live? Yeah, when things are live or when I, when I finally get around to it, I try and be thorough so that if someone landed on that page, they would be able to find my work. 
the, the, the highlights of my work. Yeah, well, that's the key thing. A lot, of, <laughs> a lot of the stuff that I do is garbage. I mean, wow. I got to pay the rent. I mean, it's chum. Let's call it chum. Let's call it what it is. I just got to pay the rent. So I, I got to continue to to deliver content across the way. Now you've opened the door. See, now that you've mentioned that you write some chum, uh, Scott Derrickson is going to to kind of cut you for admitting yeah. that maybe your review of Delirious from Evil is oh, chum and you're not taking it seriously chum. enough. Uh, <laughs> I, I welcome the interpretation. I welcome the, the read and, and he can determine that on his own. He can write his own review of, of it. Um you're, but yeah, some. I mean, listen. What the chum is is sometimes because just the assignment isn't that interesting, and I need to get paid. You know, sometimes I'm not always. It's not always my material going out. Sometimes it's an editor's material coming in, and I have to make it happen. Sometimes patches, I write something and don't even put my name on. Whoa! Um, <laughs> thanks everybody for listening to this week. Have a happy holiday. We will be back with a new episode uh, on next Tuesday, uh, and until then, farewell. Yeah.